Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. Invite you to open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We are after the holidays and the new year emphasis on reading the Bible. We're back in the book of Colossians to wrap up this incredible study. Remember we've said that the, usually the first part of Paul's letters, and this is a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, the first part of his letters are very doctrinal, and the last parts of his letters, the last several chapters, are usually very practical. And He gets very practical in this section as he's talked in, in chapter 3 about the, the importance of knowing Christ and walking with him. Uh, then he uh, gives this, this, um, this challenge that we're to be grateful and thankful in everything, and we're to do everything in his name. And then he goes to share a section of scripture that is almost a duplicate of what he said in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, Peter says it in 1 Peter chapter 3. These truths about relationships. So it's so important to understand that, that doctrine is going to, affect, going to affect how we live. What we believe affects how we live. We've said that over and over through this study. And what Paul is saying right here now is these things that you believe about your identity in Christ will affect your relationships with other people. So let's look at this section as he mentions these relationships. Verse 18 in chapter 3. Wives, be submissive to your husbands as as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your your wives and and don't be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for it pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so they won't become discouraged. So he's mentioned this family unit there. Husbands, wives, parents, children. Then in verse 22, slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but work wholeheartedly, fearing the Lord. Then he says this great statement. I love verse 23. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You you serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong he has done, and there is no favoritism. Masters, in other words, leave that to the, to the, the order of things. Masters, supply your slaves with what is right and fair, since you know that you have too high a master. You too have a master in heaven. So let's walk through these relationships, husbands and wives, parents and children, and then masters and slaves. So the first section, husbands and wives, Paul addresses the, 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 the wives first, but we're going to talk to the husbands first, all right? Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be, live with your wives in an understanding way, understanding of their weaker nature, yet showing them honor as co-heirs to the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. There's this spiritual emphasis. Paul doesn't mention it here so much, but Peter does, and, and, and it's implied here that there is a spiritual attitude that a husband is to have as we are the, the head of the home. Max Anders says it this way, a husband who treats his wife in the wrong manner will himself be unfit and unable to pray because he says your prayers will be hindered. Not, to mention that, not only to mention that he will likely have little inclination to pray, but to put it another way, a husband's spiritual health depends in significant measure on the way he treats his wife. Well, that's a pretty strong statement, isn't it? 
That, that Bible scholar says this based on what Paul says in, in chapter 3 here, what he says in Ephesians chapter 5, what Peter says in first cha- chapter 3 uh, of 1 Peter. Your spiritual life, husbands, is going to be directly tied to the way you treat your wife. And I believe that. A biblical, godly man is going to give evidence of that changed life, that changed heart that Paul's been talking about up to this point by the way he treats his wife. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says it this way. Husbands, in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That is a sacrificial love. You want to know how you're to love your wives, men? Look at the way Christ loved the church. How did he love the We're the church, by the way, the people of God. He gave himself for us. He sacrificially laid his life down for the church. And that's what, that's what we're challenged to do in Scripture. The Word of God says, Husbands, lay your lives down for your wife sacrificially. Want what's best for her. It's an act of the will. You decide that you're going to put her in that place of honor, in that place of, of being the, the queen of the home, willing to lay down your life for her. It's important to understand that as Paul gives instructions to husbands, as he gives instructions to wives, that that love is not based on emotion as much as it's based on obedience. He doesn't say, if you feel like it, love them. If you feel like it, submit to them. He says, this is a command from Scripture. It is to be an act of the will based on obedience. I don't love my wife if she performs like a good wife. I love my wife because it's to be obedient to Scripture. We'll talk about the wives. You, you, you submit to the Lord as, as, to your husband as submitting to the Lord. It's not merely words. It's actions. You can't just say, I love you. You have to demonstrate it. We were talking to our kids. They were uh, here visiting for holidays, and our son was recently married a year ago, and and we were talking about the phrase when we were newlyweds that we were taught in this Bible study. Of after several weeks of Bible study, we were taught the importance of saying I love you and the importance of saying I'm sorry. So at the end of the study, they emphasized that. Remember those two important phrases. I love you and I'm sorry. You need to use those. And so over the years, I have said to Kelly when she's done something that irritated me, I will say, I'm sorry, I love you. <laughs> Not quite intended that way, right? So I said what I was supposed to say. (laughs) Guys, it's not just words. It's with our actions that we love them, that we love them obediently. One husband said he was concerned that he might be putting his wife before Christ and and, uh, that there was a problem with that and he needed to restructure. And the, the pastor asked him, well, look at how Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for the church. Do you love your wife more than you love Christ and more than Christ loved the church? And he said, no. He said, then you still have a long way to go. We're to love our wives as Christ loved the church. I read about a man who was a coach. He'd been a coach for over 30 years, and his wife knew that that was important to him. She learned that the ball games always took priority over their relationship, and she finally said one day, you know what? I bet you would go to a ball game instead of coming to my funeral. And he looked at her and he said, what makes you think I would schedule your funeral at the time of a regular ball game? So... T- <laughs> Guys, they're to know that they are the priority of our life. And if you don't know if they are, ask them. There's an assignment for 2020. Ask your wives, do I treat you like you're a priority in my life? That's when it gets quiet, right? 
Secondly, now we're going to what he addresses first. Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Submission is voluntarily yielding our rights and our will to someone else as an expression of love for that person. Just like the husband voluntarily lays his life down for his wife as an expression for love, the wife voluntarily yields to the husband's role in the home as the head of the home as an act of voluntary submission. It's it's as unto Christ. By the way, the, the husband's headship in the home is not so the husband can say, I'm the head of the home, do what I say. I'm the boss. It's so that the husband can say, I'm the protector. I'm the one that will bless the home as I nurture, as I shepherd. Listen, men, a lot of women don't want to submit to their husbands because husbands have, have yielded that, have, have wielded that authority in a wrong way, demanding it. It's to be something that you earn out of respect and earn out of love and, and to say, I'm here to be the protector and the, the blessing in the home so that wives willingly want to submit to the husband. Paul says it again in Ephesians 5, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. It's a title of worth to be the helper, ladies. The Bible speaks in Psalm 54 where the psalmist says, God is my helper. That's not a degrading term, is it? It's a term of honor. That God says, I've given you this response. God says, I've taken this responsibility to come into the life of my people and be their helper. He says to wives, you've given this responsibility to be in the home, to be the helper to the husband. And by the way, guys, do you know why we have a helper? Because we need a helper. Just let that one sink in, fellas. God just didn't say, run, run with it, go for it. He said, ah, you guys need a helper. Now, I've talked about the amen to that, right? I've talked about this recently. We went through these, these, these uh, what submission is and is not while we were back in 1 Peter. But I don't want to read through these quickly, okay? Um, what submission is not, what it does not mean. I'll borrow this from Dennis Rainey and Family Life. Submission, ladies, does not mean you're inferior. It does not mean that you lose your identity and become a non-person. It does not mean you blindly obey. It does not mean that you should feel used. It does not mean that you allow your husband to violate the law or, or anything moral or to physically abuse you. It does not mean that you follow your husband into sin. That's not what submission is. By the way, talking about 1 Peter, I, I preached a sermon in 1 Peter. I think it was called Submission in the Workplace on, on chapter 2. And I, I gave some guidelines for how to respond if, you're, if your boss asks you to do something that you feel like is inappropriate. And I think all of those principles, if you want to go back and listen to on our podcast, all of those principles apply right here in the husband-wife relationship. Here's what submission does mean. It means you're responding to your husband's leadership with a view of God's design for marriage. God, you designed us this way. You designed this institution, the home this way. And I'm going to submit with a view of the fact that that's the way you designed us. It means that you're going to encourage your husband to lead by willingly coming under that leadership. It means that you assist your husband to lead by encouraging his initiative to be the leader. Ladies, it means you pray for your husband. That's what submission means. It's interesting, God never intends for husbands to get their wives to submit to them. You don't find that. Husbands, get your wives to submit to you. He just says, love them, lay down your life for them. But he says to wives, wives, you willingly yield to that. It's an attitude. It's, as he says, do everything uh, 
unto the Lord in, in the, the first part of chapter 3, and then he says it right here in this, this section in verse 23, enthusiastically do it as unto the Lord. It's critical, the attitude. I read about a, a football, all-American quarterback, John Brody, I think it was back in the 70s, 60s and 70s, San Francisco 49ers. He, he won all the role, all the accolades, all the titles, all kinds of records. When he retired, he's, he had held many of those records, passing records and, and, and everything. And, and one, somebody asked him one time, this all-star uh, quarterback, uh, why you bother to, to, to demean yourself to hold that football for the, the place kicker, for the kicker? Because that's the way they did that in those days. The quarterback would hold the football for the kicker. Why would you hold a football for that guy that doesn't make near as much as you do? And he said very simply, he said, well, if I didn't, the ball would fall over. See, here's a guy that says, somebody's got to do that. That's my role. I'll just do that role. Ladies, God designed men to be the head of the home, women to submit to that headship, and for, for God to, to have this order of things. And it's a blessing It's a blessing when both parties are mutually committed to follow the Lord. Paul has a lot to say when the husband's an unbeliever, and you can go back and read that in Scripture, how you, how you can lead him to Christ. But, but here, writing to believers, that's our role, husbands, wives. Still continuing with the family, moving to verse 20, because I know y'all are ready to get past that, right? <laughs> parents and children. First of all, children, obey your parents in everything. Children, obey your parents in everything. One of the challenges that, that uh, you have when you do student ministry or even preteen and children's ministry is you lead these kids to Christ and then you want to explain to them what it means to follow Christ. And so you just have this, this incredibly uh, clear example in Scripture. You want to know what it means to submit to Christ? Submit to your parents. They don't like that. They don't like that. The Bible's pretty clear. That's what you're doing. If you want to say, I'm number one, and we say this to teenagers, I've said over the years, if you want to obey God, you obey your parents. So, well, you don't know my parents. No, I don't, but I know what Scripture says. You, their curfew's not fair. Their rules aren't fair. You know, wham, 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 it's not fair. You want to call the ambulance on this one. <laughs> you say, you just, if you want to know what it means to follow Christ, you need to obey your parents. That's a, that's a starting point right there. So, so clear. It's a good way to explain the lordship of, of Christ in a home by saying God's put your parents there to be the authority in the home and you're to yield to their submission. By the way, I think what we said about uh, in the sermon on submitting to the workplace, the same, thing, the same thing comes into play when asked to do something that you don't feel is right, to submit to their authority and go through some steps of praying for them and, and approaching them and appealing to them. So children, obey your parents. Kids, if you're here and you're still living at home, obey your parents. Pretty clear, isn't it? Parents, do not exasperate nor discourage your children. Verse 21, fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the nurture and the admonition and the instruction of the Lord. That, that says to us parents that we've got to put boundaries in and we have to have discipline. Whose job is it to set the boundaries in a family? The kids or the parents? We all know the answer, don't we? 
It's supposed to be the parents. I watch in society everywhere I go, the kids are setting the boundaries. I believe that's one of the reasons why our country's so messed up. Set those boundaries, parents. Let them know there's consequences for, for moving past that boundary. And can I just add this? This isn't scripture. This is Kevin. Just throwing it in for you. If you count to five or ten, they're not going to obey till you get to whatever the number is. Did you know that? Don't step on that piece of carpet. Okay, they'll, they'll do what you tell them not to do, right? But if you tell them, I want you to step on that piece of carpet, and they don't want to do it, they're going to stand there and look at it. You say, one, two, three, four. Don't raise your hand, but how many go to three? How many go to five? How many go to ten? You're just telling your kids the boundary is whatever that number is. You're not telling them to listen to your word. Anyway, that's a whole other deal that I could get on. But in setting those boundaries, you know what you're doing for your kids? You're not exasperating or discouraging them. You're letting them know that there's some things that are important in life. And those boundaries suggest love and protection. Studies have been done about children on a playground. And, and when a, a fence came down, a, a James Dobson shared this study one time. A fence came down and the kids in the playground huddled around the school building. And they got the fence repaired and all the kids huddled around the fence. They, they had freedom in the boundary. And when there wasn't a boundary there, they didn't know what to do. Set boundaries for your kids. Paul says in 1 Peter 5 to the, the pastors or the shepherds, to shepherd God's flock with care. That goes to parenting. Dads, you're the shepherd of the home. Make sure they trust you. Make sure they know what the boundaries are. By the way, those boundaries have a way, as your kids grow older, of you move those boundaries, don't you? You, you let them know and they, they can experience a little more freedom. It's like the, the fishing line and you land the big one and you, if you keep it too tight, what's going to happen? It's going to break. If you let it go all the way out there, you might lose a fish. He's going to run out on your line. There's this constant tension of letting your kids know, here's the boundary. And as they grow up, you give them a little bit more freedom, a little bit more freedom. And then they go and they have the freedom and they, hopefully they become adults and don't embarrass you too much, Right? So he said, that's the goal of parenting, to raise your kids so that, that they go out into society and don't embarrass you too much. So Paul says in this incredible chapter on, on what it means to have a, a new life in Christ, to put away the old, to put on the new, in the relationships with, with, uh, with husbands and wives, with parents and children, it should make a difference. And there's a lot of yielding and obeying that goes on there. Then he goes on to speak of masters and servants. Masters and servants. Let's go back and read that in verse 22. Slaves or servants. Slaves, obey your human masters in everything. Don't work only while being watched in order to please men, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing that you'll receive your inheritance and your reward in heaven. And then he says in, in the verse 1 of chapter 4, Masters, supply your slaves with what is right and fair, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. So let's just kind of break this down. He says to husbands and wives, there's a place of authority in the home. He says to children and, and, uh, and parents, there's a place of authority. And he says to masters and slaves, there's someone in that, in that role of master and someone in that role of slave. 
Now, I just need to say something about slavery in the New Testament. It is totally different than the way slavery has been done in, in the, the, the generations past that we've experienced in our world today and even going back in the 1800s and 1700s. In that culture, people had household slaves. Uh, they, the, the, the Greco-Roman world, it was just a natural, it was a natural thing. And those slaves didn't dress any different than the, uh, the masters. They, they were people uh, of class. They were doctors and lawyers and shopkeepers. And what happened was when a country, and Kelly and I experienced this as we went on the, on the tour of the, of the Mediterranean, the stories about this city was this way, and then an intruder invader came in, and they took over, and then another invader came in. And every time a, a country came in and invaded, all those people who stayed there just submitted to the new authority that was in the land. So you had all these doctors and lawyers and shopkeepers and people with, with all kinds of degrees now became the household slaves of the homes of the new people who owned the, the, the country. So that's what you had there. It wasn't people that were totally uh, illiterate and uh, unable to function. It was people who really had some status. And so there's this, these guidelines here that are given. The, the, in many places, those slaves were managers of households. So that's Paul's instructions because many of the people who came to know Christ in the first century, as Paul is writing, were, were slaves. And so he's letting them know, here's how you have an impact on your master. You obey your master. You work as unto the Lord and not as unto men. But then he says in verse 20, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, he gives instructions to the, to the master. So I want to address that first. Master, supply your slaves with what is fair, right and fair, since you know that you too have a master in heaven. Employer, so I'm going to do, I want to take the master-slave relationship and apply it to something is where, where we live today, employees and employers, okay? Someone who's been given a responsibility to work for someone else. So first of all, let's talk to employers. Employers are to treat their employees with respect. Supply them with what is right, he says. Treat them with respect. If you're a Christian employer, you should go above and beyond what's right for your employees. There should be a testimony. If you are an employer, you say, well, they're not Christians. All the more reason that you employ people who are not believers. You need to see your role as an employer, as a ministry, as you minister to those people. Whatever you can do to honor them, to show respect to them. We, we as, as followers, of Christ, followers of Christ need to do that. So Paul would say to masters or to employers who are believers, show respect, show honor to those people who work for you. And secondly, he speaks to slaves, and we're going to look at his application of employees. Employees are to submit to their employer and work as unto the Lord. We're to submit. Again, the role is very clear here. Do what they say, but do it enthusiastically. Not just when you're watched, but do it as unto the Lord. Okay, now not many of us could say we're employers. We do have quite a few here, but most of, us, most of us could say right now or at some point in your life, you have been or will be an employee. You're going to be working for someone else. How are you to do that? As unto the Lord. But you don't know my boss. Scripture says you have a testimony. You submit to them as unto the Lord. Because that's what pleases God. That's what pleases him. Again, look at that sermon on 1 Peter 2. 
on submission in the workplace when asked to do something that you feel is not right. You can, you can go to the Lord with it. You can go to that person with it. You can come up with an appeal. You can design uh, creative alternatives. But you need to do it in a way that honors the Lord. Pretty simple, isn't it? If you are in a place of authority, be gracious, gracious, generous, and especially in the home, be sacrificial. If you're in a place of submission, do it as unto the Lord. No matter which of those three roles we just looked at, that's how you apply it. Howard Hendricks, one of my favorite Bible teachers, shared the story about being on an airplane and, and there were some belligerent people on that plane and he watched this flight attendant become very gracious in responding to this belligerent uh, traveler. And you, you all have probably seen those kinds of things. Demanding, derogatory. And this flight attendant was so gracious. And when it was all over, and that, that person, or those persons got settled down, Hendricks pulled that flight attendant aside and said, uh, I'd like to know your name because I'm going to write a letter to your employer and tell them how you worked. And she said, it's all right. She said, you don't understand. I don't work for American Airlines. And he was a little bit baffled by that. And she said, I work for the Lord Jesus. That's why I work the way I do. But wouldn't it be great if that could be said about all of us? If, if we could say that about ourselves. Paul says, in all these relationships, do it in a way that honors the Lord enthusiastically. Let's pray together.